Welcome, welcome, guys. We're back for another episode of The Lock-In, sponsored by Unibet Poker. I'm David Lappin, and I'm joined, as always, by the great and good Dara O'Kearney. Dara, we just inked another ambassador deal with the lovely people over at Unibet, our seventh consecutive contract. You wrote this week about how this makes us two of the longest-serving ambassadors for a single site, and you also put that in the context of your own career as someone who took up the game later in life than most. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, I mean, like uh, I think most people know I didn't actually start playing until I was in, into my 40s. And one of the things I heard quite a lot, like uh, my career got off to a very fast start. You know, I won my first big live tournament and I was doing very well online from the start. And I had kind of a profile, at least in Ireland, very quickly. Um, but one of the things I used to keep hearing in the first couple of years was like, oh, yeah, you'd definitely be sponsored by a site if you weren't so old. Um, it's 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 in, but like if you were over the age of 25, you were just, you know, you, you, you had zero chance. And that was always uh, that was sort of the way poker sites saw it at the time. So I do take it as a sort of matter of pride that, you know, I've been playing for whatever it is now, 15 years, roughly. And I've been sponsored for 11 of those. So I did sort of like at least manage to overcome the perceived ageism uh, in the industry um um and just before we move on as well i hate i hate you for using the word inked i mean people, well that's not even a word like <laughs> stoutly a word <laughs> well i'm just grateful you let me grab onto your coattails for this last six years of this deal um <laughs> our guest this week is a great friend of the show she is one of the smartest and most media savvy people in the game today. She is the head of instant media for poker.org these days. She is, of course, Sarah Herring. Sarah, welcome to the lock-in. Thank you guys so much. It is always so good to be here. I've been excited. I was just thinking, you know, like these guys just say it like it is. And those are my people. That's my kind of people. Those are the shows I feel the most comfortable to come in and be on. So I'm excited to be here. Oh, well, we really appreciate you coming on, especially because I know earlier on today, you just came straight from a midwife appointment you are about to welcome I'm going to say your 11th child into the world is that right yes this is not lucky number 11 <laughs> and uh we are 39 weeks pregnant tomorrow so it's it's any day now we made it to the to the end of the line and um that's a whole whole other adventure I'm so glad that at least we like got a little bit into this WSOP before the baby came, that was the whole goal. Like, let's get the train moving. Let's get the WSOP moving. And then we can check out and, and make a human. Excellent family planning. Um, there will obviously be a good bit of WSOP chat in this episode, but I want to start with two personal questions for you, um, Sarah. I watched your appearance on the Rec Poker podcast. Shout out to those guys, actually. Uh, I was on last week and I have to say, they really do ask great questions. Jim is always well-researched and you know you're immediately in a safe pair of hands as a guest on that show. You have a very similar ability, Sarah. You're loose, sometimes silly, always confident style has a way of putting people at ease when you're about to interview them. When you meet a player for a sideline interview, say, when you think, oh no, potentially this person's a bit nervous in front of the camera, how do you loosen them up? Oh, you always have to make some kind of a joke right before the interview starts. And I tend to think, I think it's just my nature is like something like moderately self-deprecating is like one of the easiest ways to put, put someone 
in a place of comfort. It's so awkward when the lights turn on and it's like, oh, I've done this a million times, blah, 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 which I think puts you in like a power position that you don't really belong in anyways. Like the spotlight should be on the poker player. And um, yeah, but people have definitely made the comment that, oh, it always seems like you're, you guys are laughing right before the interview starts. Yeah. And I don't think I even ever noticed that until someone pointed it out. And then I realized, yeah, it's, it's also just uncomfortable when you're standing there waiting for the record button to start. Right. So I think my natural, my personality is generally when things get uncomfortable to say something ridiculous and like weird or whatever, it's always been like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think letting them know, like you're human and this situation is weird. We can acknowledge that and then get it moving from there. Indeed. Well, my second question is actually about something you said on the Rec Poker podcast. You called children tiny little serial killers. Um, <laughs> can you elaborate on that? Oh, my gosh. You know, I don't know. Like, I, It's funny because Christy Arnett and Lynn Gilmartin both had children at the same time as my second child. And I think they, when we have these conversations about our kids, you know, the way that they think about their babies is so beautiful and romantic and lovely. <laughs> and um, I just tend to see children very much like, I mean, they are, I think they're way smarter than people give them credit for. I think they are incredibly manipulative in ways that like, I think we don't even realize. And like, yeah, if they, if they had the physical strength, like they would probably just be murdering people all the time quietly and then really loud afterwards well look the first week of the 2023 world series featured a record-breaking tournament actually the 18,000 plus player mystery millions dara i immediately thought of you and barry's comments more specifically on how that format is fading away apparently when i saw that it, it broke records i, I and ultimately, I think bestowed three million dollar prizes, two on bounty winners and one on the overall winner. Um, you and he, of course, just published a strategy book on mystery bounty tournaments. Why is he wrong? And why the hell did he say that literally the day you guys published the book? Does he, does he hate money? I mean, Barry's just Barry. Barry's a decent writer, but he's terrible at most other things. Like he's he's a dreadful negotiator. He's the only person I've ever seen go into negotiation and get less than the other guy was willing to give him. And he's also uh, just terrible. Like what a terrible thing to say on literally the launch. That like, well, we bought out this book of mystery bounties, but to be honest, I think they're going to fade away. So like, there's no there's no point in buying the book. Um, I think essentially what's happening with mystery bounties, and this this was the point I tried to make when Barry. Drop, drop that bomb is that they are sort of like go big or go home you can have a huge big event like the WSOP has successfully done and people will get excited about it because you're giving away three one million prizes but if it's just like you know a sort of a below the radar ho-hum side event with some a mystery bounty component it doesn't really work because the mystery bounties won't be very big people will almost see it as, a, as an annoyance that there's this extra thing to think about um, so I think that is the future of Mystery Bounties. This is going to be a big event every year, I think, for the foreseeable future, which is a reason why people should buy the book. Um, but uh, we'll, and, and we'll probably see it at EPTs. I mean, I think stars have probably gone the wrong way about Mystery Bounties as well. They've started putting two or three into a festival. I think it's the kind of thing that there has to be just one big one every festival and and you kind of build up for that. And I also think you know they have to stop allowing people to register right into the point at which Mystery Bounties come into play. 
um, that, that 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 skews the whole thing too. But yeah, I think I think Barry got this wrong, but you know that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> well, also this week, the recently under fire Doug Polk made a deep run in the 64 player 25k heads up event, ultimately losing the final to Chanrasi Kuhn. Congratulations to Kuhn, actually, who played out of his skin. I saw some of the highlights. He made some huge hero calls along the way. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, though, and I'd like your opinion on this one, Sarah, is Doug caught some heat for his celebratory lapse of honour when he won the semi-final after spiking a pretty dirty two-outer versus Chris Brewer. Some people thought it was poor sportsmanship. What were your thoughts? You know, unpopular opinion, Sarah, is always going to support more, more celebration, more shit-talking, more all of the above like I think I think if you are genuinely really really excited you should be running around going mad and Chris Brewer has been doing this for a long time he knows the game like I it, I would be shocked if he was super salty and I also think we have to give room for players and actually this is why I really like the mystery millions type things also it's like again we got to get players who are less professional players into the game. And I think one of the ways to do that is to show how fun and exciting it is and how wild the ride can be. Yeah, really well said. I have to say I totally agree. And, and I did hear Chris Brewer say that he was completely nonplussed by Doug's celebration. He didn't mind at all, thought it was all part of it and good fun. Um, and I think it is great to see somebody like Doug, actually, especially who obviously is well off, be really excited about a win. I think we've maybe got too conditioned to thinking that those stoical responses are cool from these high stakes players. In reality, every reaction is fine. If you are stoical, then that's fine. If you're pumped and excited, want to run a lap, that's also fine. And I think it was great to see Doug get giddy in the way he did, um, particularly coming off the back of two very expensive high stake cash game streams where he did a lot of money. <laughs> Maybe he was genuinely happy to uh, to bounce back a little bit. The big story of the first week was the double bracelet victory, of course, of Chad Easledge, who has been around for well over a decade, always posting very solid results. But in the past two years has really gone stratospheric, winning three WPT titles, uh, WPT high roller title, and now after this week, three WSOP bracelets too. Dara, put a run like this in context, but also talk about how Chad's emergence in the game has actually been kind of that of a gradual one. He sort of moved up the stakes incrementally. He's not a young hotshot exploding onto the scene. He's a man who, who has grinded. He's earned his stripes and now is getting some big rewards. Yeah, he's an overnight success after 10 years, essentially. Um, but uh, I mean, it's obviously great for Chad, and I and I have no doubt that he's a that he's a great player and, and he and he has a genuine edge. But I mean, by far the biggest component of this of this sort of run is just it's a statistical outlier. You know, every time somebody goes on a run like this, you do get this sort of hype of like, oh, what they're doing is amazing, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But in any set of random data, you will you will get these weird clusters. I mean, I, rem I remember about ten years ago, a Spanish player won the three biggest tournaments in Poker Stars on the same Sunday, and everybody was like, "Oh, this is the most amazing thing in the history of poker." And then I'm I'm not sure we heard from that player again, um, or at least nothing on that scale. So there there is a lot of marveling at randomness and variance. I think when when people look at tournament results, but 
but I mean, I guess that's understandable as well, because as Sarah said, like we're trying to sell this as 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 something exciting, and this is definitely exciting. It's exciting to see somebody grind away for ten years and then get the rewards. Um, there's always a kind of a survivorship bias when we look at WSAP results, because we hear about all the guys who are getting great results. Um, but I remember at the end of WSAP, one journalist uh, listed about two hundred big name players who had barely cashed an event. And that sort of uh, indicated to you that, like, yeah, you hear about the success stories and you and you don't really notice the guy. You have the feeling that everybody's being successful and everybody's having an amazing series. But that's not the reality. You are literally just hearing about the winners. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. A, a lot of people are going to do their bollocks out the next month and we won't be hearing much peeps from them. Uh, Sarah, do you know Chad? Have you interviewed him over the years? I don't, but I, it, one of the things that I thought was so interesting, because always when you see these like dealers choice events or the events where, you know, there's a lot of different games involved, of course, the most easy and obvious question is to ask players, what's their favorite game? You know, what are they the best at? And I thought it was really interesting. He and many players suggested that Badoogie is something that he's just exceptionally good at. And I have literally never asked someone what's the best game for you or favorite game and had them answer Badoogie. So there could, contrary to the fact that, yes, this is a, probably a statistical outlier, there may be some edge in some of these games if Badoogie is your best game and nobody else's. Yeah, good point. Good point. Definitely in those mixed, it, it almost becomes a, a game of maybe not necessarily even leaning into your own best one, but sussing out what everyone else's worst one might be and, and deciding that might be the one if you are a good all-around player. Um, sticking with WSOP, but sort of segueing to a, a different side of it, I want to talk briefly about the coverage, specifically by Poker News, who obviously you spent some time with uh, maybe a dozen years, Sarah, um, they've been criticised a fair bit for their live reporting this year already. It must be said there have been a lot of mistakes by what is admittedly a team made up of a lot of new faces. Mistakes will be made and we must be forgiving of that. But nonetheless, it is frustrating for a player to read back a fictitious hand that he or she just played, one that makes them look bad, particularly uh, you know, maybe they have a backer out there or swaps and <laughs> they have to explain themselves. Um, Poker News employees have come out expressing how the team is inexperienced and cobbled together for this event each year, sort of it being, you know, two months where they need a bigger team and then those people won't be employed for the rest of the year kind of thing. But that essentially implies that high standards shouldn't be expected. Um, obviously, live reporting was not your thing, Sarah, but I wanted to get your opinion. The WSOB obviously pays a chunk to Poker News and other media outlets to get their tournaments covered. And that money comes from the players rake ultimately so with that in mind how professional should the WSOP expect poker news to be and since they pay all the rake how critical are the players entitled to be okay so there's two huge points here and I, okay so I will say now I've shifted right to poker org and we have been hosting these meetings with poker players and other industry people to discuss what's wrong what's what are other people doing that maybe like we could do differently and one of the most common complaints which I have to be honest with you I thought at first like this is such a just like whiny little bitch thing to complain about but uh one of the most common complaints was the accuracy with the hands and so we said what would you suggest you know if you were running a team as professional poker players, what would you suggest would be a good answer to making sure that the hands are accurate? And I 
think I'm going to give credit to Andrew Marino. I think that he was the one who said this is he said, why don't you just let us give you the hands? And mm-hmm. I was like, get out of here. Cause I've been trying to, as I'm sure you guys have tried to schedule interviews with poker players, try to get anything ever from any poker player. And I was extremely skeptical that uh, we would ever get this from them. And so then I was like, well, then you guys can just keep complaining and never get to where, but we, this year, our approach was to have players send us their hands and then we like format them and, and type them out. We call it firsthand hands and you can see who, who it is. And a lot of them are even from players saying hands they've seen at their table of other players playing also, um, which I think are some of the most interesting things, right. To get other people's insights on, on the hands. Um, But it's, it's actually one of the, my favorite parts of the coverage so far this year. And one of the most, one of the things I've been the most excited to be wrong about because the players have been extremely active in sending hands. And it does suggest to me that, that it matters and that, um, that this, this type of, that hand histories are so important. And that is really what people are looking for. Um, That being said, I also think a common misconception, and I'm not sure if this is even, uh, I don't know if this is like confidential or not, but uh, in other conversations, I've had people mention that the WSOP is paying poker news. And from my experience there, I don't think the WSOP pays poker news to do this. I think they do this for exclusivity and, you know, based on seeing some of the things that Drew Amato and other people and what our experience has been so far, this exclusivity is worth a lot. Um, we're not allowed to be inside of the ropes, We, which is another reason why we've had to get very creative about, you know, how we're going to approach and cover things. But um, our photographers are only allowed to be in inside of the ropes for five minutes every 30 minutes, uh, which is extremely handcuffing. And I think basically the w, the Poker News puts out a lot of money to cover this event. And I think they get exclusivity as a result. And I think it's a really, they're in a really tough spot also in some ways, right? Like it's a huge thing. They get a lot of traffic for it, but it's also a really expensive thing. And there may come a day where they're just like happy to not have to do it. And I think there was a couple of years where the WSOP tried to do it themselves. And I think we can remember that went terribly also. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty monumental task. And I do think staffing can be really, really hard, mostly because training people takes more than a week or so. And the first week is going to be really brutal most of the time. I dread the first week of the World Series always. Yeah, I, I did hear that um, little piece to camera by Drew, who obviously was super disappointed that he couldn't come. You know, he's obviously one of the best, if not the best photographer out there. And, you know, you want his pictures, you know, and, and and his point about you can't just go in at five five past the hour and get that photo immediately. You might have to wait around for the, the key moment in the hand or when the player's looking up or whatever. You know, it, it just it can't be scheduled in the way that, as you say, just going in for those five minutes every half hour are. And also then it's like 25 minutes away from the tables, which is not what you want either for those people to try and maximize um, their time or, or whatever it is. So it is interesting there to, to get a little glimpse behind the curtain on the fact that it's maybe more about exclusivity. I, I certainly heard um, some, you know, disquiet amongst the photographers specifically um, last year with people sort of saying, oh, well, I'm supposed to get the, the the winner's photo and someone else saying, well, I get second dibs on that. And they, you know, I think there is probably like people working, you know, they want to work collegially, but also maybe there is this kind of exclusivity aspect to it. Dara, your thoughts? 
Yeah, I think I, I think the suggestion of getting players to uh, send the hands is a, is a really good one, and that's actually something which some of the better live reporters have done have leaned into for years. Christian Zetcher comes to mind for, for as long as I've known Christian. When he turned up at a table, if he'd missed the hand, rather than look at the board and try and invent it, he would he would pick somebody at the table and ask them to recount the hand. Uh, usually me, it has to be said, and 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 our relationship developed to the point where he would ask me to send him hands as well if anything really interesting happened at the table. Um, whether I was involved in the hand or not, um, and I would, I, I was more than happy to send him the hands uh, in those cases. So you know, when you have people like Christian involved, you 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 tend to get very high quality reporting. It, it's not fair on the people who come in; they don't have the same sort of long standing relationships with players, maybe that they can lean into. And it's it's undoubtedly a very difficult job. Um, I, I I would actually place most of the blame on this on the WSP themselves. Um, they are the ones who decide who they're going to grant exclusivity to. They are the ones who should really be saying, like, you know, we, we demand a certain standard. Um, you can't just hire a bunch of noobs, uh, pay the national, uh, national minimum wage and and hope for the best. Um, but but overall, yeah, I, th- I, I do think by far the best solution is trying to get players um, more involved because players want accuracy. I mean, that's what they really want. You don't want to read... A hand go out and have it be completely inaccurate and then and then you spend the next four weeks explaining to all your friends that that is not actually how the hand played out <laughs> um that's that's extremely annoying it's also because of the the nature of how live reporting is set up at this point right is it's like they're wandering around hoping that they might stumble upon a hand every now and then which in and of itself is really ineffective and inefficient where the players are handcuffed essentially to their seats most of the time they're sitting there the whole time they're able to suss out this was the most interesting hand that happened this hour or this two hours or whatever without having to just happen to stumble upon it you know and and in order to keep things moving I think that the live reporters they're supposed to have a hand every 20 minutes or so and so what this also does is then you have a a lot of hands that are just very uninteresting but that's Mm -hmm. the nature of it also because otherwise you know it's kind of the variance, the luck of the draw, like they, they're not going to stumble upon interesting hands all the time. Well, Sarah, speaking of Poker News, you left Poker News after a dozen years last year. You got a lovely send off from the community. You've said that it was that response in a way that gave you a sense of your place in the poker community, that you were unsure maybe of what exactly it was before that. Um, your new role as head of instant media for poker.org is actually something we have spoken about on the main show when we interviewed your colleague, Brad Willis, who was highly praising of the decision to bring you to the team um, and also highly praising of what you bring to the table um, and, and have brought to the table since joining. For the uninitiated, what is instant media and how is it most effectively deployed? Sure. So I think, you know, most of us at this point are. I shouldn't say most, a lot of us at this point are getting our news, not from traditional or standard sources, but a lot of information is coming A, through social media. So I see the instant media has two main components for poker org, and they overlap in a lot of ways. One of them is the social media, right? These short form videos, giving players hands where they can watch things go down, getting players reactions, but in these quick little snippets uh, to be released on social so that people can consume at their leisure. But the other thing was looking at live reporting as a community, what we currently see live reporting looking like, and that from my perspective, it was just not exciting enough and not visual enough. And, you know, as a 
world basically at this point and and the data completely supports you know images videos memes gifs the way that we communicate now is so different than just standard writing articles or writing hand histories and i think actually you know i think there's a, a huge place also for written pieces and even for just writing this is something i just overheard um but our instant media coverage is our very own version of live reporting which is attempting to and i think doing a really good job right now of giving a 360 degree look of what it's like to be at an event so you're getting the jokes you overheard while you were waiting in line in the bathroom you're getting a quick snippet because Phil Ivy just got here a little video. Phil Ivy, what do you got to say for this? We're getting hands. We just pieced together a really cool hand where, uh, you know, with Dan Shack, you're getting like, you know, some of the moments that maybe aren't on the stream, but that are still very cool and getting pieces from the rail. It's really about giving the live reporting coverage all the things that we want to consume as poker lovers. And Ideally, I, I hope, and this is the direction we're trying to move and get the dev to move in this direction, that this will also be a place where people can respond, you know, so that people can like shoot in their gifts and say, oh man, that was a really poorly played. Um, and just how we can use all the tools that we have to communicate now in poker. Like we need to make this community where we can laugh together and also cry together and all the things. So that's instant. That's instant media. Yeah, I'm very conscious of how you're sort of describing a, a much greater to and fro between media and players there and, and sort of how that's baked into the cake. Poker Org have a very specific mission statement. I know they say they represent the independent voice of poker players and believe that an independent media company is necessary to shape the future because the opinions and the views of poker players are very important. Um, you are always... I always thought very open during your time at Poker News about what that company essentially was, that it was an affiliate marketing company that relied on poker site money to pay the bills. While, of course, there are journalistic elements and individuals in the company certainly do journalism some of the time. You never pretended it was a news outlet. And I always thought that was interesting. Uh, poker Org are making bolder claims to journalism, I guess. And, and the proof, I think, so far is in the pudding. I think, um, you know, what we're seeing from them definitely qualifies. Um, I must say it's encouraging. And I, I do hope it continues in that vein. One suspects, though, that there is always a financial pressure on a model such as that. How do you feel about the tension between poker news reporting and the industry? I mean, I will say so far, what has been really interesting about being in a company where the main goal is, you know, what do we choose to amplify? What do we see as news? Who do we want? What voices do we want to showcase? Um, we have had spent a lot of time and a lot of internal dialogue on you know, what it means to really be a journalist and what it means to really be news. And there have been lots of stories where there was lots of fights, you know, internally and, you know, lots of backlash internally also. And that has been one of the things that I have enjoyed the most about this experience is hearing other people's perspectives and opinions about what our role is as, as curators, if you will, of news and, um, and I think the concept of 
being the voice of players is something that gives us something always to go back to. So in the spots where we've had had questions of, you know, is this something that should be covered? Are we making poker look bad, which I personally hate? I'm always on the side of like, just tell the story, let the people decide. Um, but being able to to turn to the player advisory board, being able to turn to some of the most respected players, you know, and people in the industry and ask them, what do you think? Is this a story we should be telling? Are we being like, is this trashy? Is this good? Should we dig deeper? What are your thoughts? Really being able to turn it to the players has taken a lot of the burden, I feel like, off of us. And that also has been really new for me in my career. We've never really had that. It's always been you know, some like corporate person telling us like, <laughs> you can't say that, or like, you shouldn't do that. And that's been a big change. Um, I have fear, of course, because I'm like, eventually we have to like make money, right? I don't, I love what, what I'm doing and I want this to continue. And so um, at some point, inevitably, right, there will be those moments of like, well, we have to tell this story and this person is paying us. Um, and the dream is that, I mean, the concept and what we've been affirmed of over and over again is that that will be baked into every contract that we make or do is that like, this doesn't keep us from telling the stories. And so far, even the people we've told some stories that we did get plenty of backlash for um, in potential clients, right? Potential future clients. And I think the thing with news, it's like, everybody knows, I think, who's behind it and where the money comes from and I think that's the same with almost everything you have to ask yourself who paid for this even people like it's in the data it's in the science okay who paid for the data like who nobody works for free scientists don't work for free you know churches don't even work for free like I don't know you got to tell me who's who's paying for it somewhere and like what are their end goals and um that's going to come into almost every part of every industry I think yeah I think that's a really interesting take I think very insightful as well um Dara I know consuming poker news is a very 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 small part of your overall poker diet but we do talk a lot about you know poker news coverage and you know media coverage in general and um I know we've discussed poker orgs emergence and I suppose to be very blatant we've definitely discussed on this show and other shows uh, poker news's deterioration we certainly took issue with a couple of individual stories that they ran with and also maybe just generally as well that the, the, the standards slipping there the journalistic standards in so much as they have them there slipping as well have you sort of done the same thing I've done and shifted towards poker org for the bit of news that you do consume yeah very much so uh, and obviously that's a personal decision but it's it's one I would encourage players if they do feel you know that, that they're upset by the deteriorating poker news standards poker news are not the only show in town uh you can you can try and get your poker news from somewhere else i was very impressed by poker or get everything i've looked at just the general approach to coverage as as sarah said it, it, it comes across that they're the player's voice they're not trying to exploit the players for clicks they're not uh trying to pick on individual players they're not trying to make players look deliberately bad um they they are essentially just uh sort of celebrating the player's role in poker and the players are are, are central to poker um, they are the story you know it's it's not the same as most sports where the money comes from the outside and therefore the participants have to sort of accept a certain amount of scrutiny um a, a lot of unfavorable the, all of the poker 
all, all the money at the WSOP is contributed directly by the players and they're they're paying the WSOP and then the WSOP are using some of that money um, to organize coverage and, and all the rest of it. So it has to be remembered that the money is ultimately coming from the players. And, you know, when we took issue in the past with Poker News coverage of certain stories, I did make the point that I actually don't put most of the blame on Poker News. I put the blame on whoever is actually paying Poker News, essentially. And whether that's actual payment uh, in monetary terms or it's payment in kind by giving them exclusivity ultimately they should be the people saying this is this is an unacceptable level of uh coverage we don't we don't want lowest common denominator coverage um we don't want you picking on our players um they, they, that ultimately is a case of like whoever uh pays the piper uh picks the tune and um that's but but it, it but it is tremendously refreshing to see with somebody like poker org come on on the scene and actually have that other perspective of it's not just about chasing clicks and what will get us the most views um we actually have a certain overall mission um which is to represent the player's voice yeah and i think they have assembled a crack team not just sarah but you know probably most of the best writers in the industry now work for them and uh, i think it really shows in the quality of coverage and, and those sort of dig a little deeper articles as well you know just it's not just that the words are better or it's a bit smarter but it's it's just a little bit more researched and nuanced uh, yeah you know i really appreciate it uh, overall going to change the subject now to what i think is a really really unfortunate story in poker this week it's pretty underreported so far although it it may you know become more apparent to people uh, as the news gets out gg poker have just partnered with youtuber and podcaster true georgie uh, the latest example of them looking into the dumpster behind pokerstars headquarters to find uh, their next ambassador seven months ago pokerstar shikan true georgie aka brian davis issuing the following statement um We've terminated our contract with True Doherty with immediate effect at PokerStars. We're committed to making poker as inclusive and accessible as possible and do not tolerate any comments or attitudes that don't align with our inclusive values. David Davis, I should say, first made his name ranting about black footballer Nile Ranger back in 2013. In 2019, he did a very problematic podcast about the missing child, Madeleine McCann. Then late 2022, he made an Islamophobic joke about social media personality Andrew Tate saying that Tate, a Muslim, should do the right thing and blow himself up. Um, a woefully inadequate, it must be said, and monetized apology followed. But it wasn't enough to save Davis from losing his deal with PokerStars and his other sponsor, Gymshark. I actually joke tweeted literally the day he got shit canned. PokerStars been through Geordie. Poker World, who is that? One week later, GG sign through Geordie, probably. It took more than a week, but sign them they have. Dara, we talked about through Geordie's binning on the lock-in episode with Matt Savage, if you remember, back in November. What did you make of this GG decision? Um, to be honest, I, was, I wasn't too surprised. And um, <laughs> leaving aside the whole, you know, I, I, I don't want to preach from the moral high ground on this. I mean, GG have the, have the right to hire anybody they think will, will, will boost their business. I, I do discern a pattern with GG, which I think is nearly all the sites talk about wanting to attract more people to poker, attract more women, attract more minorities, attract more, you know, the groups that traditionally don't play. I don't think you see that with GG. I think I, th I think GG kind of just go, no, the, the, the reality is that the poker demographic is sort of the it's 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 young, it's male, it's it's a 
it's politically incorrect um and you know they i genuinely feel that they think that it's it's kind of a waste of money throwing uh efforts at trying to get more minorities into the group into into poker in general uh they're they're, they're making no great effort to attract women they're making no great efforts to attract uh other people it, it seems like they're going for sort of this is a this is our crowd uh, who are the people that will appeal to that crowd? Who are the people that will maybe get people in that crowd who haven't um, ch- checked out Poker yet, but might if we get somebody in like that? And that's kind of, I feel, where, what their whole marketing strategy is. It's going for the easiest demographic that they feel rather than a, a broad demographic. Yeah, it's almost like they realized Poker Stars had done the research and thought, oh, there'll be good overlap with his audience. But then as soon as he did something wrong, Stars went, well, we're not having that because we're, you know, a public company and we're not going to, you know, break our own internal inclusivity, diversity sort of rules. Um, but Gigi went, oh, there's an opportunity for us to get the same guy with the same demo that might still apply, you know, to getting new players. And we don't actually care about that stuff. We don't really, you know, have 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 those views. Um Dara's painted it in quite a cynical light, I, I, I suggest. Sarah, when you hear that, would you sort of agree with that? Do you, do you think, you know, maybe that they're right at some level or do you think it is just kind of the mucky business? Unpopular opinion, Sarah. I will say <laughs> that um, even at Poker Org, it's something that, um, you know, at the top levels, they've really been pushing for more diversity you know we need more people out here that we need and I will like you know we need more women on our team we need you know more people that are even just geographically from different places and there's part of me that really can understand that and can understand the need to want to do that but as the person who hires people for certain jobs uh, I personally just want the person who's going to most effectively do that job. So a lot of times that is like a middle-aged white man. And for me, I would rather hire someone that I see and know as like a very competent middle-aged white man who loves poker and knows poker than to try to find and suss out someone who may like represent us in some slightly more dynamic or diverse way. I think probably Gigi's approach if they see, you know, that this is their primary demographic and they have some money to throw at it, I, I, to me, it's kind of like, yeah, that's probably smart. Um, but I also think that in general, actually, and maybe my experience of the poker community is just so different because really we're mostly dealing with all these like very top level people, right? But I think the poker community is extremely sensitive and extremely, um, concerned with these type of issues and making sure that that people feel included and making sure that diversity is a part of this game. And I have heard so countless conversations about how we can, you know, highlight Black players more, how we can bring more women in. Like, it just doesn't seem to be, in my opinion, something that is as missing from the poker community as a lot of other people see it as. So, I don't know. I kind of like how Gigi's just like whatever, and they're so gangster with it. Um, again, think, though, the UK like, do you have a line a when it comes to that audience. kind of thing? Can we also though quickly because I do remember when True Jordy was a thing like last year at the Poker Stars yeah. thing, and I'm like, the UK is a really small country to be fair, and there's like only people in the UK know who these people are. So like, I also think as a larger 
marketing strategy it's a pretty small albeit it, within the uk probably very large but even like at news you know our audience in the uk was maybe 10 percent. so it can't be that much different for the rest of you know the actual operators and stuff it seems kind of wild but um what do you mean where do i draw the line well well i suppose like just when somebody gets been by you know stars in this example for an islamophobic comment and um you know it's not cancel culture there's not you know the guy has a huge platform and he continues to podcast and in a sense podcasting so independent in a way you're always going to have your own you know he probably lent into that and almost like got a ratings boost as, as a consequence i'm nearly guessing but i suppose it's like rewarding that by then welcoming him back to poker by another company admittedly with a very different sort of um set of standards i would suggest um but like like is there a line where somebody should be just like once and for all actually do you know what we just can't be having that you know it's so bizarre to me because i think uh, like even i remember it was so crazy all the stuff with dan bilzerian but if the whole like you know no press is bad press thing is true then it was probably one of the greatest decisions they ever made and I don't think anyone's getting on poker sites because they're like wow this is this company is so moral and so righteous and that's why I want to play on their site it's like you know people want the games to be run with integrity they want the games to be safe and they want there to be money there and I think those are for most business-minded poker people, that's what's going to drive where they play. And I've actually, I'm really curious about a lot of this stuff because I kind of thought after they paid all these money to all these big A-list celebrities, that it became pretty apparent that that there wasn't a lot of crossover actually, or that it wasn't actually bringing, for the amount of money that it was costing to mm -hmm. get these people, it wasn't bringing that much value versus focusing you know, turning to the streamers, turning to vloggers, turning to people who have these built-in audiences that are more loyal and more niche to me that just seemed like I thought that's where we were going with this whole thing so to me it's just a kind of probably maybe they got like a smoking deal since he got like kicked out by his stars basically or maybe he was in a down moment so it was easy to yeah. get him cheap yeah they might have got him on the cheap um Dara this is actually bringing up uh I wasn't planning on talking about this but just one quick uh, fire uh, response from you on this one it is sort of harking to something we used to talk about when we got really bothered when the footballers and the tennis players were, were sort of getting all these big signings by stars or different companies and, and we did think that there was a limited impact of them there may be a couple of them I think you always said that Neymar did seem to be a very shrewd one because the the Brazilian market or whatever but you know we certainly got feck all out of Cristiano Ronaldo one suspects or maybe some of the tennis players too I think were there and barely noticed and barely even I would say even played a hand of cards when they were signed by them do you feel like we are drifting back into that model or do you think that we've sort of maybe find the right balance between as Sarah said there the the twitchers and the people with their built-in audiences who are really lovers of poker and this sort of outside celebrity thing which maybe we need to court a tiny bit yeah, I think there. I, th I think there certainly is some benefit, particularly in emerging markets where you're essentially just trying to make a splash, uh, which was Brazil. And you know, the whole Brazilian poker is huge now, so you can't really blame the operators. You're looking back, 
with the benefit of hindsight, we'd say that we have to think, well, they probably got it right in, in terms of the people. If they'd gone out and got whoever the few Brazilian players that existing were who had no real audience because poker wasn't big in Brazil at the time, they probably wouldn't have had the same impact as, as signing Neymar. So, you know, retrospectively, perhaps we should say we were probably wrong on, on, on some of that stuff. We thought that you needed poker players to appeal to poker players. But if you're appealing to a new audience, then that sort of goes out the window. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm I'm not really concerned about that so much anymore. Where people come from, I I think there is a sort of a feeling within, let's say, the operation on a poker players almost an entitlement that there's almost an entitlement that you know well we're all the best players so we're the guys who should be getting sponsorship deals and and we don't like this guy who barely knows how to play poker coming in and getting a deal but but it is a business decision at the end of the day and uh, you know this, the 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 sites presumably do some. Research. My my biggest concern when every site seemed to want to sign footballers and tennis players was that that's all they seemed to want to sign for a while. Mm. And it and it reminded me of, of one of my first jobs where um, I worked in a small department in a software company, and at the end of the year, uh, we had some budget left over. Our boss had some budget, and he and he used that to hire. Ireland's top comedian at the time, Dermot Morgan, to play at our Christmas party. And, and we were all like, well, what, what, what was the benefit of this? Uh, how did this benefit the department? And he said, well, at least I got to hang out with Dermot Morgan. Um, <laughs> I, I often wondered how, like, how much of that, you know, if, you, if, if you're the person in stars who's, who's in charge of signing people and you've had the <laughs> chance to hang with Rafa Nadal or Neymar or insert random boring poker player here, like, what are your incentives? <laughs> great point great boy and actually and to give Neymar credit he does seem to be mustard keen on poker I can imagine him actually having a poker career after football and uh, I remember he was in the 25k in Barcelona we were all there and people were kind of ogling him and trying to get photographs and he busted and he jumped straight in the 500 quid event because he just wants to play some poker that day so like, I think he's he's legit for sure um but that's very funny I, I know that reference of Dermot Moore will be lost on Sarah but it, that's a that's a beautiful um and like just yeah encapsulation of, of Irish small-mindedness and <laughs> you just wanted to shake hands with a comedian um finally I want to come back to one more WSOP story if that's okay each year we talk about the Poker Hall of Fame and this year will be no different I'm sure Dara we had the pleasure actually of hanging out a little bit with Elie Lezra the day he was inducted a couple of years ago last year of course it was the dearly departed Lane Flack who was posthumously inducted um, this year, there are certainly a few good candidates. The nominees who didn't get in last year are obviously in the mix again, along with a few others that I scribbled down here. This is my short list. I'm going to go to you first, Sarah. Uh, Josh Aria, Elke, Kathy Liebert, Mike Matisau, Lonan Norm, Michael Mizrahi, Matt Savage, Isai Scheinberg, Brian Rast. And then to that last year's list, I've also added... Antonio Sfandiari, Ted Farris, and Zino and Steve O'Dwyer as other maybe people that are in the picture somewhat. Uh, any strong opinions on any of those? Um, would you add another name or two to that list? Or also, do you care at all about Hall of Fame stuff? I don't know. It's it's maybe not something that excites everybody. Oh, I love the Hall of Fame. I basically love everything that celebrates people and their accomplishments and careers, especially in the, this type of an industry, right, which is so obscure and nobody in your family knows what's going on. And I, I think the more we can celebrate each other, like, hell yes, absolutely. Um, hearing Anthony Zeno and Steve O'Dwyer on the list makes me just feel like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we've made it. Like our people were, we're, yep, we're all officially 
old enough now to be <laughs> in the hall of fame um your list is fantastic I, I honestly haven't given it enough thought to be able to to add people but i will say I'm sorry, Isai Scheinberg. Why did I already think he was in? I like I think like he must have been nominated for the last few years, and I just assumed he had made it in there. So um yeah, I mean Isai Scheinberg, hands down, no question. That to me is just so and maybe it's because of some of the actual qualifications. I get it, right? Like theoretically, you're supposed to have like made money playing or have some like success playing or something, but I think we as a community can all overlook the guidelines in this spot and say like he's clearly someone who's had an impact on the game in a way that uh he's made some money as well yeah no for sure he's made plenty of money (laughs) like just just enough but i I, i'm trying to remember what exactly you know the the guidelines or parameters are um and yeah i you know i think there's um every single person on that list deserves to be in there and it's mostly always just about deciding which year we like decide to put them in I think has Matt Savage been nominated a million times he also is in yet? seven I think yeah holy cow like, but I think you probably can't do and see these are the things right you can't do Isai and Matt in the same year because then you don't even really have like an official poker player in there so mm. they'll have to like you know battle it out but all this is like they, they only let in one and- now Sarah I thought we had all finally agreed that we should let in one like industry person and one poker player. It's... We, we did, but they didn't. <laughs> one a year? Yeah. There's already like 15 people. This is, we're all going to be dead by the time yeah. like half these people get on there. Uh, I do think it would be hilarious if Matt Savage just always was nominated forever and yeah. never got in. I think that like Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> yeah. or whatever yeah, until right. it finally happened. Like he's got to be the Leonardo DiCaprio of poker. Let's go. Um, yeah. Okay. And one a year. Yeah, I think it has to change because I think everybody, I I don't think, I don't think I've heard anyone make the argument for why it should be one. And everyone thinks it should be two or even like two with the caveat of a builder every second year um, or something like that as well. So yeah, I I can't imagine it's going to be this for too much longer. Dara, we've had mass Lon, Norm, Steve Dwyer, Kathy Lieber on the show in the recent past. They all make great additions. I say I, I personally did vote for uh, Lon and Norm um, last night, actually. I, I, I threw in my ballot. We saw a very strong case made by Brian Rast on this show, literally days after not getting it last year, where he very strongly made the case of like, you know, Lane was great. And I know he passed away and I'm very sad about that, but I still should have got in first. Um, who would you pick uh, and yeah would, would you add anyone to the list um, I certainly wouldn't add anyone to this the list, the list is far too long already that's why we mm. need more people getting in every year otherwise the list is just going to grow every year as more people turn 40 um, in, like the whole, I, I never really paid too much attention to the Hall of Fame until until Ellie got in and and then you immediately came to me and said Ellie got into is getting into the Hall of Fame. You absolutely have to get a book into his hands <laughs> and take a photograph. And 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 that has that since then has don't of, reveal what come on. You, I mean, you were you you you're a genius of publicity. So that that you know that 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 was that 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 was one of your many master strokes. So that's kind of the way I see I see it since. Like I was I was. I, I could understand Lane getting in, but I was very disappointed because it was very little prospect we were getting a book into Lane's hand and getting a photograph with him when he got the thing. So, so this year I'm I'm thinking in terms of like who, who would be most likely to let me take a photograph of them with the book. Um, so I'm I'm glad to hear you voted for Lon and Norm. I could definitely see 
uh, either of those gentlemen, I mean, Norm, Norm would probably do it very grumpily and he might be standing on the book or, or tearing it up, but, uh, <laughs> but at least we get our picture. Um, Matt Savage as well. Like, you know, we, 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 we've run into Matt a lot down the years. He's always been incredibly friendly. I, like generally when it comes to awards, like it, it, it's weird to me that in a sense that when I'm thinking about the GPI awards, I kind of get annoyed when there's so many industry awards and so few player awards. Um, because in some ways I feel that that particular award show should focus more on players. But when it comes to the Hall of Fame, I kind of I kind of go the other way. I think when you look at people like Izai or Lana Norm or Matt, who've had a huge impact on the industry, that kind of feels more important to me to recognize than you know, some lad won ten bracelets, or some some guy won went 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 on a recent tear and won three tournaments. Um, uh, so I think when it comes to Hall of Fame, I do tend to favor more the the people who've had a genuine impact on the industry. Also, can Lon and Norm be one? Because can we induct one one year and leave the other one? Like they're just one, but they're two. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Well, that, that's my only shot is, as I said, hanging on to Dara's coattails that I give him. <laughs> Ten years from now, Dara, I'm going to hopefully just be dragged across the line with you two <laughs> after we, you know, do some more stuff in poker. After you've written your, like, 15 book. Um, finally, because uh, I can already hear my little serial killer in the background, and I don't know if that's audible on this tape right now. Um, before we go, I need to tell you all about a big announcement at Unibet Poker. We are going to have a much, much anticipated Unibet Open in Bucharest at the end of the year. And you heard it here first. We are going to smash the record for the biggest ever Unibet Open. I'm predicting 750 runners plus for this one. The event will be held at the Marriott Hotel in Bucharest, beautiful location between November 29th and December 3rd. The main event is an 1100 buy-in. You can win a 2K buy-in hotel spending money package every Sunday on unibet.com. These are already smashing the guarantee and generating extra packages each week, adding to my reasons for why I think we're just going to knock this one out of the park. There are super satellites from as little as a euro. So the client does offer lots of routes via the various qualifier tree branches. Dara and I will be there and we would love if you could join us too. On that note, it remains for me to thank our fabulous guest, Sarah Herring. Thank you. And I love Bucharest and everyone go, you can eat for cheap and enjoy your life. If you, if you don't happen to make Come it. Come and bring tournament. your 11 children with you in uh, yeah. December. We'd love to see it. <laughs> get uh, on my flight with me. Get, get, just have a few moments of what it's like. <laughs> Darrow Kearney, thank you very much as well. Thank you, David. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're welcome to continue to ride my coattails anytime you want. Thank you very much. I will take care everyone. <laughs>